Aloha nui kako, Avelina mai keia pukana o keia vahi podcast o yahoi o Moonkind Things the podcast. I keia la e hai hai moolalo ho ana vau e pili ana i ke kahi mau moolalo mai kupuke o Chicken Skin True Spooky Stories of Hawaii na Rick Carroll i kakao or na Rick Carroll i aqua kua i keia mau moolalo mai na poeo Hawaii ana poeo kaina e ke kahi um, no laila. Uh, the last podcast I did. Uh, a couple of spooky stories so today to keep myself on track this is what we're going to talk about because oh my goodness ever since I started this this like segment of the podcast I just have so much to talk about okay so number one calls if you're listening to this and you have any true spooky stories that have happened to you especially in Hawaii especially if you're a boy Hawaii in Hawaii I want to hear about it um, even if you don't think it's that scary or it's just like a unexplained supernatural kind of story, please submit it. You can either email me at moonkindtings at gmail.com. You can DM me on Instagram, moonkindtings. Um, you can, we can set up like a Zoom if you want to. You can just send me your message. Um, and like for the Zoom, we'll do audio only. Probably. I don't know. Maybe I'll include some video clips on the Instagram. But yeah, I totally want to hear all of your true scary stories. On the next one, I'm going to do some of my own scary stories that I've encountered. I actually have kind of a lot and I forgot about quite a few that some of my friends have reminded me of that like, oh my God, we've been through. Um, A lot of the true scary stories I don't really want to tell on air, I guess, because um, some of those topics are things that maybe should just not be discussed. Um, in such a public laha setting so uh, the stories that I do tell are obviously stories that are like more of the noah category or free for public hearing and stuff like that and not things that are going to attract things that we don't really want around us so um, that's what's coming up I'm looking for other people's stories if you want to share them if you want to just submit it anonymously and I can read it on air that's totally a possibility too whatever you feel comfortable with um, number two is that I am going to be having Corey from Navahine Lole. She's an amazing seamstress, um, great fashion designer. I love how she, you know, can think of these amazing patterns and then just make them happen. That is such a skill, um, and like creative design mind, um, asset seriously so i'm gonna have Corey uh come on the podcast keia po'aha this thursday to talk stories about some inexperiences she's had um so yeah if you want to be on the podcast and share your own story you're more than welcome to do that too so hit me up dm me email me um whatever you want to do and what else did i want to do today i'm gonna read us a few stories from the chicken skin puke these ones are really good i've been working on my spooky season designs like i told you guys last time for these past couple days i have these really good ideas that come to me in like flashes of visions kind like i can like see it all on the shirt on the paper on the design board you know what i mean like i see it how i want it to be so it's just kind of slowly coming in pieces um and i'm like super excited and i just wanted to talk a little bit about like spooky season and incorporation of things that are like western american holidays because i know that i do talk about that a lot in my stuff about you know i don't celebrate american western holidays um Halloween, first of all, isn't really an American Western holiday. The thing that we do now with, like, the candy and the pumpkin carving and shit like that, I guess, is, like, a Western holiday. But, you know, Halloween at its roots, Samhain, um, is a pagan, is a pagan love and holiday. So, as a pagan myself, 
um, I totally feel inclined. And to me, it's like Halloween at its root is about the veil being dropped and that space between Paul and Elle being super um, malleable and able to pass things back and forth. So when I'm making my designs, to me, I'm thinking about not just things that go bump in the night, right? Not just things that come out on things like Polkane, but um, I'm just thinking about like elements of our culture and of our history and of our mythology and of our legends and stories and mo'olelos and ka'au and and like genealogy and, and chants and songs that have been passed on to us. And that's kind of what I just want to do with everything in Moonkind Things is 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 normalize Olelo Hawaii, normalize our culture and our stories and and have things like Kamapua'a and Puapua Lena Lena be names that all of our keiki know and celebrate. And um I remember one of my good friends, Hope Mokulehua, shout out Mokulehua Hi. I remember uh we were maybe like seven years old so i grew up with hope um we live like we grew up like two streets down from each other our whole life in waimanalo and i remember she had a birthday party one year in which the theme was to dress up as princesses so of course i was like yes living my princess queen life and like totally ready for the party and then my mom was like you should dress up as like poahi and i was like wait no i want to go as like you know rapunzel or Belle or something fun like that but of course, I ended up going to Hope's birthday party dressed as like a Hawaiian princess. And all the adults were like, oh, wow, that's so creative and interesting. The kids are like, what are you wearing? And I was like, yeah, tell me all about it. But <laughs> now, you know, as a as an adult, I totally see the importance in representation for our keiki and stuff like that. I see the importance in our kids celebrating, normalizing, knowing, acknowledging, appreciating, respecting, giving honor to and and and. Um, not glorifying, but like ho'onani naniing. That sounds so gross. Ho'onani nani. These mo'olelo and these characters that are so famous and that entertained us for thousands of years. You know what I mean? Instead of my keiki turning on YouTube and watching Blippi, I want her to like bring me the Pua Pua Lana Lana book and ask mommy to tell her the story. Um, you know, like that's what I'm, that's what my goal is for our keiki and for our lahui is for the the mo'olelo and the ka'au of our kupuna and our people to be celebrated and remembered okay give me a coco moment so um that's a little bit of spiel on why i do this kind of stuff um and also because as a child going through a kind of turbulent childhood and past uh these holidays were one of the only things not one of the only things they were something that helped me to feel normal and to feel um have these kinds of happy memories with my ohana and stuff like that so that's a little tidbit about why i like to kind of celebrate halloween and um christmas and you know like i said on my last podcast i really love everything spooky and scary and like scary movies and scary books and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's a little bit um also heads up october 16th mark your calendars we will be having a pop-up in kaele pulu um we are i I don't want to say too much but we will have quite a few vendors that will be available as well as a mini little haunted walkthrough it's not like a full haunted house but it's like a it's enough okay (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be exciting so that's gonna be in kaile pulu october 16th i'm gonna be dropping a bunch of my spooky season designs there um along with a bunch of other stuff i'm getting some fabric in this upcoming week so i'll probably be printing and sewing my little hands off for the next three to four weeks 
um i hope to see you guys there i'm super excited so stay tuned on instagram and tiktok for some of those details about that makeke all right moving on to the last portion of our podcast evening which is haimo olelo so the stories that i want to share with us tonight the first story that i have comes from a story called at the bishop after hours and it's actually written by the author of this or the collector of these stories who's rick carroll so he talks about how he actually meets with auntie pat bacon uh who we know is the hanai daughter of mary uh tutu mary kavena pukui and she used to work in the archives of the of the bishop museum right so he's talking to her about like oh i bet you must have seen a bunch of stuff and this and that and she ends up telling this story that really hooked me in because when i was going to uh hilo and when i lived in hilo we learned about this heiau called wahaula which is right by mokuola so like right if you're familiar with hilo right when you're coming off of the hotels and you turn right into mokuola parking lot right there at the front of the parking lot there's like a huge empty space on the right and i believe there's like a slab like a concrete slab and i i want to say there's a sign i'm pretty sure but there might not be um and that's where waha used to be and um so this mo'olelo in this story talks a little bit about waha and i remember learning in college that that was a luakini or a sacrificial heiau so you know plenty stuff had happened and i vaguely remember one of my kumu telling me a story about um, how they tried to move that stone many times and bad stuff would happen and it would always end up in the same place. But I just took it as like, you know, a story. And then I read this in this in this puke and I was like, oh, OK. Um, so it says. Sorry. OK. Of all of the incidents at the bishop, the most spectacular, she said, involved a bloody death on the stones of Wahaula Heo which archaeologist John F.G. Stokes brought back from the Big Island of Hawaii in the 1930s for a museum exhibit. For those like, why would you do that? For those unfamiliar with Wahaula Heo, it was built in A.D. 1250 and was in use until the early 19th century. It was the last temple destroyed by chiefs who banned ancient rites the year before Christian missionaries arrived in 19 1820. One of the bloodiest sacrificial temples in all of Hawaii, its name means red or sore mouth. The Heiau had many ghosts, including one made famous in the 1915 edition of William D. Westervelt's Hawaiian Legends of Ghosts and Ghost Gods. The ghost of Wahaula Temple tells the story of the son of the high chief of Ka'u, who was killed by the Mu, or body catchers. Interesting, because sometimes we hear about Mu and Menehune being kind of like synonymous, but body catchers, that makes me imagine like body catchers as in like, you know, they're killing so many people, they're catching bodies, but also like noho like body catchers body stealers and sacrifice on the altar his ghost managed to return recover his bones and flee to the spirit world not so lucky was a young hawaiian man who worked at the bishop in the 30s while the wahaula heo model was on public exhibit oh my god they freaking put that thing on public exhibit actually made it his mother had a dream that warned of danger to her son and she asked him not to go to work because something would happen he didn't believe her but those who were working up there on the roof saw something they don't know what miss bacon recalled he fell through the skylight to his death on the heiau made from the stones of Wahaula. So, okay, let me get this straight. In the 1930s, they brought back stones from Wahaula, put them in Bishop Museum in like a model of a heiau. Dude, that's like I, what I wanted to say was in some kind of like bastardized version, derogatory version, disrespectful ass version of a heiau. You kind of just take stones and put them in any kind in the, oh my God. 
And then this guy falls to his death on the hail that's made from the stones. So really, you're consecrating this Luakini for the first time in like 200 years and you think nothing's going to happen. Old people at that time said the hail had been consecrated by claiming its first sacrifice, she said. Mr. Stokes was the one who cleaned up all the blood there, she said, leaving the implication that he never should have removed the stones from the hail in the first place. The intrinsic power of the stones was further demonstrated in 1989 when red-hot molten lava Yeah, I don't edit these. I just stick them straight on. I don't have no time to be editing podcasts. So whatever you guys get is what you get. Um, Destroyed the 1.2 million National Park Visitor Center, ran up to the very edge of the hail, sacred stones, and stopped. I made a note to take a look at those stones, which she thought might still be in the garden of the courtyard. Oh, that's nuts. (sighs) (coughs) Call my... Okay, so that is the Bishop Museum, Mo'olalo. Let's Okay, this one was the most interesting, Mo'olalo, that I came across. And I'm gonna, like, let's, let's talk about this one. Okay, so this one, the introduction goes, Tales about Hawaii's night marchers always give me chicken skin. And this definitive story by the ultimate source is no exception. As a girl, Mary Pukui heard vivid tales of the night marchers from her Hawaiian mother and relatives on the big island of Hawaii who had encountered them. In 1930, she shared her reminiscences with Hawaiian folklore folklore authority Martha Beckwith. No story I have ever heard or read about Hawaii's people of the night has ever been told with such authority, contained such explicit detail, and most importantly, offered precautions on how to survive. The Marches of the Night by Mary Pukui and Martha Beckwith. Every Hawaiian has heard of the Marches of the Night, Kahua Kaiokapo. A few have seen the procession. It is said that such sight is fatal unless one has a relative among the dead to intercede for him. If a man is found stricken by the roadside, a white doctor will pronounce the cause as heart failure, but a Hawaiian will think at once of the fatal night march. The time for the march is between half after seven when the sun has actually set and about two in the morning before the dawn breaks. It may occur on one of the four nights of the gods, on Ku, Akua, Lono, Kane, or on the nights of Kaloa. I'm like, that's half of the month already. <laughs> We're just setting ourselves up for failure here. I mean, not failure, but I mean, yeah. If you don't know the where the path is and what time and you're just there. Like, I read so many stories about Kiawaiki, um, what we call, or some people refer to as Yokohamas on West Side, um, and how not only is that like a direct path for Huaka Iokopo, but also, well, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because Ka'ena Point is right around the corner, and that's a lena, a major lena, or jumping point for, for Uhane, or souls, after you pass away on Earth. Um, and then also, people always report seeing Akualele, or, so, okay, I did a bunch of, like, noi as I was, you know, going through all of these different um, creatures, supernatural creatures of Hawaii, and Akualele is what we most often refer to as like those fireballs, right? Like that people see in cemeteries, um, you know, that are reported in all different kinds of places, like in the mountains and cemeteries, all kinds of stuff all over Hawaii. Uh, Waipio, I've often heard of hearing, uh, seeing Akualele. So when I looked up Akualele, okay, so like you break it down, right? Akualele, Akua, God, gods, lele, flying. So literally flying gods. And this comes from a term in when kahuna or, or people that were using these different gods to send them to do their bidding, right? So Akualele is like that type of Ho'onaaku. And then 
popo ahi is the actual fireball, which is a type of a kualele, from what I understand. Okay, so I don't know. Oh yeah, because that's what we were talking about. So it's like um, on these nights, especially are the are the nights when kuaka yokopo um, and other. So we know that nights like kane are nights that belong to supernatural creatures and the nights that supernatural creatures roam the earth and people are supposed to stay home in their house, right? So we also know that Akua, which is like a, a nice full full moon, is a night for gods. So Huaka Iokopo is actually, we'll, we'll read a little more about it, but it's actually a procession of chiefs. There's two, the procession of the chiefs and their attendants, and then the Aumakua, the gods, the goddesses, and that level of procession which is like the super sacred high-ranking one right so it says those who took part in the march oh hello were the chiefs and warriors who had died the aumakua and the gods each of which had their own march if a chief enjoyed silence in his life his march would be silent save for the creaking of the food calabashes suspended from the carrying sticks or of the litter called manele if he had not been fond of walking if a chief had been fond of music, the sound of the drum, nose flute, and other instruments were heard as they marched. Sometimes there were no lights born. At other times there were torches, but not so bright as for the gods and the, and the demigods. A chief whose face had been sacred, called an alokapu, so that no man, beast, or bird could pass before him without being killed, must lead the march. Even his own warriors might not precede them. If, on the contrary, his back had been sacred, a kuakapu, he must follow in the rear of the procession. A chief who had been well protected in life and who had no rigid kapu upon face or back would march between his warriors. So first of all, the first thing that strikes me, I mean, after the moons and stuff, was that there's so many rules to this. And I have never heard of any, like, any of this stuff. When I grew up learning about night marchers, um, I just, like, my impression of what night marchers were, were they were just hawaiian people i guess like kupuna and kanaka that were kind of stuck in purgatory so i guess i did know that they were like warriors because they weren't just normal people that were walking around all the time but um i had no idea that it was like chiefs and warriors and their attendants and there were specific ones and their specific order i mean of course there was but i just have never heard such detailed account like this so that's why this is i was tripping out when i saw this on the marches of the chief, a few Aumakua would march with them in order to protect their living progeny who might chance to meet them on the road. Sometimes the parade came when a chief lay dying or just dead. It paused before the door for a brief time and then passed on. The family might not notice it, but a neighbor might see it pass and know that the chief had gone with his ancestors who had come for him. In the march of the Aumakua of each district, there was music and chanting. The marchers carried candlenut torches which burned brightly even on a rainy night. They might be seen in broad daylight and were followed by a whirlwind such as come one after another in columns. They cried, Kapuomoi, as a warning to stragglers to get out of the way or prostrate themselves with closed eyes until the marchers passed. Like the chiefs, they too sometimes came to a dying descendant and took him away with them. The march of the gods was much longer, more brilliantly lighted, and more sacred than that of the chiefs or of the demigods. The torches were brighter and shone red. At the head, at three points within the line, and at the rear were carried bigger torches, five being the complete number among Hawaiians, the Ku'alima. The gods with the torches walked six abreast, three males and three females. One of the three at the end of the line was Hi'iakaikopolio Pele, youngest sister of the volcano goddess. The first torch could be seen burning up at Kahuku when the last of the five torches was at Honu'apo. 
The only music to be heard on the marches of the gods was the chanting of their names and mighty deeds. The sign that accompanied them was a heavy downpour of rain with mist, thunder, and lightning or heavy seas. Their route the next day would be strewn with broken boughs or leaves, for the heads of the gods were sacred and nothing could be suspended above them. If a living person met these marchers, it behooved him to get out of the way as quickly as possible, otherwise he might be killed unless he had an ancestor or an aumakua in the procession to plead for his life. If he met a procession of chiefs and had no time to get out of the way, he might take off his clothes and lie face upward, breathing as little as possible. When I always hear about this, I always hear you're supposed to get naked and lay down so that you're like not looking at them. But this one says upward. And I mean, this seems like it knows what it's talking about the most, right? He would hear them cry, shame as they pass. No one would say, he is dead. Another would cry, no, he is alive, but what a shame for him to lie uncovered. If he had no time to strip, he must sit perfectly still, close his eyes and take his chance. He was likely to be killed by the guard at the front or at the rear of the line unless saved by one of his ancestors or by an aumakua. If he met a procession of gods, he must take off all his clothes but his loincloth and sit still with his eyes closed because no man might look on a god although he might listen to their talk. He would hear the command to strike then if he was beloved by one of the gods as a favorite child or namesake, he would hear someone say, no, he is mine, and he would be spared by the guards. Many Hawaiians living today have seen or heard the ghostly marchers. Mrs. Wigan, Mrs. Pukui's mother, never got in their way, but she has watched them pass from the door of her own mother's house and has heard the Ka'u people tell of the precautions that must be taken to escape death if one chances to be in their path. A young man of Kona, Hawaii, tells the following experience. One night, just after nightfall, about seven or eight in the evening, he was on his way when all of a sudden he saw a long line of marchers in the distance coming toward him. He climbed over a stone wall and sat very still. As they drew near, he saw that they walked four abreast and were about seven feet tall, nor did their feet touch the ground. One of the marchers stepped out of the line and ran back and forth on the other side of the wall behind where he crouched, as if to protect him from the others. As each file passed, he heard voices call out, Strike! And his protector answered, No, no, he is mine! No other sounds were to be heard except the call to strike and the creak of a manele. He was not afraid and watched the marchers closely. They were both men and women in the procession. After a long line of marchers, four abreast had passed, came the Manele bearers, two before and two behind. On the litter sat a very big man, whom he guessed at once to be a chief. Following the litter were other marchers walking four abreast. After all had passed, his protector joined the fellows. In the old days, these marchers were common in Ka'u district, but folk of today know little about them. They used to march and play games practically on the same ground as in life. Hence, each island and each district had its own parade and playground along which the dead would march and at which they would assemble. Mrs. Emma Akana Olmstead tells me that when she was told as a child about the marches of the night, she was afraid, but now that she is older and can actually hear them, she is no longer terrified. She hears beautiful, loud chanting of voices, the high notes of the flute, and drumming so loud that it seems beaten upon the side of the house beside her bed. Their voices are so distinct that if she could write music, she would be able to set down the notes they sang. So that is from Mary Kumena Pukui, told to Martha Beckwith. And then it also says as like a footnote, in a 50-year association with the Bishop Museum, Pukui translated thousands of Hawaii legends, chants, and ghost stories, including the Night Marchers, published in Kepelino's Traditions of Hawaii, edited by Martha Beckwith in 1932, brah. So, that's nuts. <laughs> Um, like I said, that is the most detailed account that I've ever heard. 
seen, read about um, night marchers. And then I also have this last mo'olala that I'm going to tell really quickly. When I first started working at Kualoa, which is a park on the windward side of the island of Oahu, I was told a story of the Pokane, or night marchers. It was said that the night marchers always come from the burial cave on top of the mountain on the night of Kane, which can be identified as the 25th night of the month according to the Hawaiian calendar. Supposedly, the remains of more than 400 chiefs are in those caves. In the night of Kane, they descend in a procession. Back before World War II, there was a German army officer visiting Kualoa. Evidently, he was related to the Judds in some way, and they had all sat up all night playing music and talking, and when it was getting on toward dawn, they started to hear drums. Of course, most of the people here know what the drums meant. He didn't, and he started to ask questions, but all he got was evasive answers. Well, it's just people practicing in the back of the valley, that sort of thing. He had been in the back of the valley, and he knew nobody lived there, so he wanted to go and see for himself. People told him to stay put, but he went rambling off by himself, and he didn't come back. At daylight, they went looking for him. They found him in the middle of the trail, with his mouth wide open, and his eyes wide open, and his fingers bent back apparently dead of a heart attack. Other people tell me that the trail crosses Kamehameha Highway and there are a lot of car accidents in that area. A lot of them just happen to occur on the night of Kane. Some people attribute it to a bad curve, but I think there's something else going on. Ho oh, by Anonymous. Yeah, so sleep with the light on tonight. <laughs> That's all for tonight. Um, next time that I hop on will probably be Thursday when I have Corey from Namahine Lole. Um, she's going to be coming in to talk stories about, you know, some of her experiences. And then I have, that was only from the first Puke that I have chicken skin. So the next one, I've been reading Spooky Tales. I have a bunch from that book that I can't wait to tell you guys. Um, and like even more, I can't wait to show you guys the spooky season stuff that I've been working on because... Let me just toot my own horn really quickly, okay? Toot toot. Mahalanui, nokoholohe anamai, ahuihokako.